And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with Anthony Slater out west, Fred Katz out east. We are here to present the first regular season 2023-2024 pod. Gentlemen, it's real. It's happening. We had action galore Last night, two nights ago, Slater and I were chilling at, at Suns Warriors. Uh, last night, Fred Katz was watching the Celtics and the Knicks do their thing. So much to keep up with. Wemby is real. Wemby is here. What's going on, boys? Can you imagine if Wemby wasn't real? All this anticipation. <laughs> an alien? Not real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's not yeah. real. It's a hologram the whole time. <laughs> Eric Lively is also real. Yes, that is true. That is true. All right, we're going to make the rounds today. Um, uh, it's one of those nights where I don't know how it was for you guys. It's definitely different than for me, and we're going to get into that. But like when you go from the dog days of the summer to the, hey, the training camp starting, uh, and then the preseason basketball that, that drags on and is such a sludge to get through uh, with so little entertaining hoops to watch, and then it's just fireworks. Yes. You know what I mean? It's all over the place. Uh, you know, you can't have 12 TVs up at once. Um, so uh, we're going to, again, make the rounds. But, Fred, I am going to throw it to you because there's just nothing like covering NBA basketball in person. And among the three of us, you were the only one last night actually at a game. Uh, Celtics have, you know, uh, you know, a hell of a follow-up act well, to the yeah. Damian Lillard trade with Milwaukee. They go get Drew Holiday. They got Porzingis in the offseason. They got Joe Missoula going into year number two. We got this core, obviously, with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown that that uh, got itself to the finals a couple years ago. You know the story. Uh, the Knicks are sitting there, and I, I did think this was interesting. You know, you watch the pregame for, for that telecast. Julius Randle sat down with the ESPN folks, and, and you got this sense that it was like, hey, did everybody forget that, that we got to the second round? We have a good core. Jalen Brunson's back. You know, the, the band is back together. Uh, they comported themselves fairly well, couldn't pull it off, 108-104 loss. Uh, how was the garden, and how did things look? I think my first reaction from just a important for the league perspective is, man, if Kristaps Porzingis stays healthy this year, he is going to be a monster for them. He was incredible in game one. And I'm not just saying, oh, Kristaps Porzingis was incredible in game one. He had 30 points. Let's overreact and say Kristaps is, is amazing. When you see the fit of how it worked, first of all, the Knicks just like at times really struggled guarding that five out offense. And Porzingis has such a quick trigger and will shoot them from so deep that he struggled so much. But defensively, He's such a different defensive player than when he was in New York and when he was young. Like he 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 used to be this stringy weak side shot blocker, right? Who would come in and sky in, use his athleticism. And then in Dallas, he gets hurt and and the injuries just kind of make his athleticism erode to a degree, his mobility mobility and his leaping and all of that erode to a degree. And he becomes he like a defensive liability somewhat. Uh I feel like last year in Washington when not yeah. It was Completely. like I can remember games that in, in Dallas where it was like hit him, like go after, him, yeah. go after, him, get on him, get him stunned, him, go at Chris that it was like I thought his career, his career, I frustrated him, like basically, basically tried to right? Fred is Slater glitching as if he's the AI guy from the eighties right now. Was it? Was That's it exactly my audio? What's happening? <laughs> yes. All right, Slater's going to figure out his technical stuff. Um, Fred, I'm glad you brought up. Kristaps, because this feels like a lifetime ago, but there was a time, as I say goodbye to the wife, um, there was a time where Mr. Porzingis was the unicorn, where Kevin Durant himself gave him that 
nickname, and he was playing for the Knicks, and Phil Jackson looked like he had gotten something right as a front office executive, which was saying something at the time. Uh, and we thought he was going to be that guy. You know, it, it is wild to think uh, that, that he's been doing this for so long, but he's still, I believe, 28. You know what I mean? Like, still got a decent amount of tread on those tires. He's a massively important piece for them this season. You're talking about, again, that Boston team that decided to retool. Brad Stevens, you know, could have gone with the the familiar and the conventional with Marcus Smart leading the way, and, and he just, you know, up, you know, shaped that roster very, very differently in the summer. Porzingis, to me, and last night was was uh, was him showing, kind of proving people like me wrong, was somebody who going in, I just, I didn't believe it from last year. I needed to see it again. Uh, but if this is him, if this is what it is, then, you know, then the Celtics are, are going to be phenomenal. Sam, I'm going to do something right now that's very in character and that you're going to hate. Say something crazy and off base. We're going to talk <laughs> about the 2022-23 Washington Wizards. Hey, now. Because... Porzingis last year goes to Washington, or I guess a year and a half ago, but it's his first full season in Washington last year. He had a really good defensive year last year. He really started to gather, I think, discipline as a paint presence. And if you look at Washington's defense last year, it wasn't very good. But the one thing they did well was they guarded shots at the rim. Him and Daniel Gafford were both really, really good rim protectors last year. The analytics show it. The eye test show it. However you want to look at it shows it. They actually used to play those two guys together, and they would get those lineups did quite well. Porzingis is, has really become a paint presence. And you look at how he guarded last night. There's a possession early in the game where Julius Randle pump fakes him like three times. And Randle will use those fakes when he's right up against the rim all the time. And he's a really good foul drawer from it. He, he gets you up in the air all the time. And eventually, Randall kicks back out. It's very rare for him to kick back out on those sorts of plays. I asked him after the game, like, what's your progression there? Like, what is your read to kick back out? Like, when are you deciding, okay, I got to kick it out? And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person on the planet. And he goes, when he didn't jump. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. The seven foot three behemoth in front of you didn't jump. So you were like, I'm probably not going to make this shot. The point being, Porzingis is just so much more disciplined. Like, there were times... Back in the day when he would jump, but the athleticism would make up for it. Uh, he had an incredible block on RJ Barrett in transition. I think he had four blocks in that game. You know what the Knicks shot in the paint? Knicks shot 12 for 43, 29% oh, in the paint. Yeah, Julie, Julius Randle was with Julius Randle and Jalen and Jalen Brunson, who like the Knicks were a really good offensive team last year. People don't think of them as that because it's a Tom Thibodeau team. But like the Knicks were tied for third in points per possession during the regular season. They were a really good offensive team. And the reason why was because they had good shot selection. They won the possession game and they were really good in the paint and really good at getting to the line. These guys, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, live in the paint. They're awesome in the paint. And they combined to go two for 21 in the paint. And part of that was them missing shots they normally make. And part of that was I thought Porzingis was just fabulous defensively on top of the fact that he was giving them 30 on the other end. Hey, hey, and by the way, that their perimeter defense is insane, right? With Tatum, Brown, Drew Holiday now, and Derek White. Derek, Derek White. White. Like yeah. that that lineup, if Porzingis is what we're talking about, like, you know, consistently as a rim protector, I mean, that defense has a chance to be like, you know, best of this like last five sure, seasons. Sure, sure. So Porzingis' final line, 30 points, plus 13, which was a game best. Uh, like you mentioned, Fred, four blocks, eight boards, a hell of a Celtics debut. Uh, maybe, guys, as I segue here, uh, maybe he was just tired of hearing Wemby get referred to as the unicorn type. You know what I mean? Like, you know, dude who's seven foot plus, dude who is a, uh, a defensive force. The original force. unicorn. Yes. Do you remember who, like – I remember Kevin Durant made that popular. I yes, remember. I actually mentioned that while you were fixing your tech stuff. But yes, oh no, yeah. uh, did you see the? I mean, Bob Myers mentioned on the broadcast like we should have never used unicorn before uh, Victor Wembanyama. Which, by the way, Bob Ouch. Myers probably had the the second best debut in the building. I mean, he was, was he good? I thought uh, he had a he had. Well, a, let me let me let me preface because it's been too long before I've given my quick admission. Listen, guys, there's 82 games in this season. You know, I'm going to be grinding from now until June. I don't feel yeah. that bad about it, but as Slater knows, 
As you don't need to admit this, Sam. <laughs> nobody was asking you to admit this. I, well, because I'm sitting there going, oh, is Bob Myers good? Indicating I did not see. I did not watch. Why did I not watch? Because I bought theater tickets for the you know first official night of NBA basketball. Happened to sneak that in. Shout out to the group in Sacramento that performed Les Miserables, one of the greats. Had a lot of fun. I might have been sneaking in a lot of action on my phone you know, as we went through that. But Bob Myers, I, I caught the the. To be front. clear, Sam, you saw you saw Le Miserable, or you covered the Bulls game. Hey, well, see, you were so ready. You, I, I liked your plan B because we talked coming into the pod. If if Wemby was a bust, then naturally you, you this would have been a Wemby reference that yeah, that Wemby was later Le Miserable. But no, the Bulls get that distinction. Bob had a good segment on, like, you know, they obviously kicked it to him on, uh, you know, Daryl Morey, James Harden situation, you know, how, like, the, how he would maybe handle that as an executive. I'll, you know, send you guys there, Sam, the clip if you haven't seen it, but he had a pretty good segment on that. All right. Good to hear. Bob is an executive. Um, the Wemby debut. Uh, let's get into some thoughts there. Uh, the the final line there the Spurs you know again I was tracking that one and you're going damn they're gonna they're gonna beat the Mavs they were up for a lot of the game um, that would have been a bad look for the the Luca Kyrie Mavs as, as they try to actually make this thing something substantive in, in year number two but the Mavs win 126 119 one banana winds up uh, only uh, 23 minutes um, 15 points five foul boards. trouble foul trouble uh, okay a lot of foul trouble all right one one block. And five turnovers um, and uh, and a plus minus of zero. Uh, what'd you guys see there? He, um, like, you know, again, the foul trouble was a big problem. I think the speed of the game a little bit, you know, it's, you do see it. You saw it with Chet, I thought, even in Chicago a little bit, but suddenly the regular season turns on and the, you know, some of these veterans care more and the crowds are better and it's, it's just moving faster. That Spurs crowd was really good, by the way, uh, which is, it's just good, you know, right? That's been kind of a dormant franchise the last few seasons. Right. Um, so I just thought, you know, it just, he looked a little, I don't want to say nervous early, but it was just, the, the, the game was moving pretty fast. I think that was a problem. But he had a stretch in the fourth that was like, he kind of showed you, uh, you know, what the hype is about. Um, you know, he had like a big fadeaway. He had to pull up three. Uh, he was affecting shots. Like you said, only one uh, block. But, you know, it, I was kind of joking at the beginning, but like Derek Lively was really impressive in that game. And he was like an interior presence going back against, you know, Wemby. And, um, yeah, that, 16 that points, 10 boards, um, 12th pick overall out of Duke. Uh, the Mavs got to be loving that, especially when they, they gave Kyrie the bag and, and had somewhat limited ability to build that roster out. Um, I mean, that's, you that's kind a of as a raw prospect that might need G League time and stuff like that, but he was like right away, like lob threat. That was a big thing, right? That's what Lucas needed. That's what they haven't had out of their centers. I mean, they tried with Dwight Powell, you know, or they, JaVale McGee, they gave the really bad contract to and had to wait. Would probably be the better example, but uh, that was enough to be like, hmm, because I think they've desperately needed like, like a, a lob threat run protecting center. Maybe they got one. Let's see. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if this keeps up. How quickly he gets into the starting lineup because they're starting Derek Jones Jr. right Tuesday, now. Tuesday, next Tuesday, probably. <laughs> I mean, it was. I think yeah. soon is the answer. I was. Question. I was thinking sooner than next Tuesday, maybe. Yeah. Like they're starting Derek Jones Jr. right now, who can be a small ball five and super athletic and all that. Nice rotation player, but if you think Lively is 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 legitimately good right away, you could just throw him there. And if you want to maximize his minutes with Luca. What better way than playing them more with Luca? Yeah. All right, dudes. We got so much ground to cover. Um, we're gonna do. Can I? Can I make a? Can I make a Spurs point? Yes. Before yeah. we move on. Yes. I think a really cool trend in the NBA is how much bigger the league is getting, and I feel like the next evolution of small ball is starting to really hit us, and it's just big ball, and it's great. Like the league is getting so large again, and you look at that Spurs starting lineup that Pop is rolling with. Like he's like Trey Jones. Yeah, you'll come off the bench. Sohan's going to run the offense now, who's like, you know, a, a forward. And they just play a ton of forwards. And I feel like you look around the league and we're starting to see like some other young teams that are kind of building around huge guys who can handle that's going to allow them to play massive, switchy defensive lineups. And this is why I always loved it when Mike D'Antoni would correct anybody who referred to it as small ball and say, no, it's skill ball. We don't care about having small players on the court. We care about having skilled players on the court. Skilled players sometimes happen to be small, 
but you want skilled players. And you look at like the way Orlando is building its core around Paolo Banquero and Franz Wagner, that down the line is going to allow them to just play lineups that are massive and have tons of really big defenders on the floor because Franz and Paolo are going to be able to initiate the offense because they're so skilled offensively. Uh, the Spurs are doing it right now. And these teams aren't good yet. It's just the league is going there. And it's really cool. And it's fun to watch. And defenses are going to get so good. They really are. And I'm I'm really excited to see where this headed where this is headed in like five, 10 years from now, what lineups end up looking like. The only slight counterpoint to that quick yesterday is like I thought they were missing a point guard late. You know, like they had bad there were there's some bad offensive possessions. And I'm not saying look, you can have a big guy who can control an offense, right? Those are some of the best, you know, like the the Sean Livingston's of the world. LeBron is probably the greatest example of a large human who can run points. Right. Yeah, but, no, no, totally. Sean Sean Livingston is is the first guy. And then LeBron. I mean, Was you know, sarcasm? anyway. <laughs> Sean Living, no, Sean Livingston was. I remember when he first came into the league because I was, he a, was a female. Right hey, listen, and one of the best stories we've we've come across. six six seven point guards did not happen. No, back not when at all. He came in the league. That was like a huge deal. In case we don't make our way back to it, because you gave him a little bit of love, Fred. Man, the Magic putting it on the Rockets one sixteen eighty six. Uh, very good start for their group. Um, Slater, let's now. Hmm. Jump off. You mentioned point guards. You mentioned the idea of, you know, big versus small. Um, the Suns Warriors. We're going to go back one day because you and I were both there in person. Uh, you know that that was one of the two uh, showcased uh, NBA season openers. Uh, you you obviously have so much history there. Chris Paul playing his old team. Kevin Durant playing his old team. First time Durant had played in front of Warrior fans uh, at all. <clears throat> Excuse me, because of COVID, because of injury, all these different things, but. Hoops wise, when it comes to that point guard discussion, you know, the Suns obviously win that game. Um, a, a major part of their season is going to be who's running the offense. You know, they've got their super team, so to speak, but but they don't have Chris Paul anymore and they don't have a conventional point guard. So Devin Booker goes out and says, you know what, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to score for a lot of the night. And then when it gets to crunch time, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to assist on the final eight points of the game. I'm going to find Yusuf Nurkic on a beautiful, you know, role play where he drew the entire gravity of the defense his way on the right wing and, and finds Nurk down the middle. Uh, just absolute fantastic execution down the stretch, you know, and, and they win that game. Chris Paul on the other side didn't shoot well, but he was Chris Paul. You know, he's he's throwing dimes left and right, getting CP3 chants from Warrior fans, which was obviously surreal. Uh, what kind of takeaways did you have from that one? Uh, from the Sun side, I mean, Booker was awesome in that game. Uh, I'm a little worried about like already they're kind of having some, some bumps and bruises, right? Bradley Meal Beal misses that game. Probably going to miss uh, tonight. Booker might miss tonight. I think I saw him listed as doubtful, uh, but yeah, he looks great right now. Uh, Warrior side. Yeah. The problem certainly was not Chris Paul or Chris Paul's integration. I didn't think, I mean, I think no Draymond green, Andrew Wiggins just is not in uh, form right now. I mean, you go back two years ago and the way he, rebounded in the playoffs, defended in the playoffs. That version of Andrew Wiggins is just not here right now for the Warriors. He didn't have one defensive rebound, whereas Phoenix had 17 offensive rebounds. That's a problem for the Warriors' lack of interior size. No Draymond, like I said. Um, but if you want to look at it, it through an encouraging line for the Warriors, it was Chris Paul's ability, I thought. was when Remember, Steph Curry gets four fouls in the third quarter, leaves the game last year, almost every year, that means disaster for the Warriors when Steph Curry's off the floor. They were actually plus five in the non-Curry minutes. That's because Chris Paul like took over in that third quarter. That was the stretch where you really saw him um, bring the bring the element to the Warriors that that they traded for. Which was you know there were some pick and rolls. There was some he got Nurkic on a switch a couple times. Some man one some crafty foul drawing when they were in the bonus um, and Steve Kerr could not be like more pumped about this Chris Paul uh, you know addition. To the point that, like, it seems clear when the game's on the line, he's going to have Chris Paul in this closing lineup, which which creates questions uh, about who isn't on a nightly basis, you know. And the answer in night one was Andrew Wiggins got pulled for Jonathan Kaminga. When Draymond Green's back, that's another guy in the mix. So it's I think it's going to be kind of a thorny, tricky season in closing lineups for the Warriors. Uh, but... Like you said, it, one of the takeaways is just like Chris Paul's 38, he's turning 39 come playoff time. 
but he still looks physically good. And any worry about like, oh, like the warrior style is going to be just too hard for him to integrate it to. I just don't think that's the case because I think he's so smart. He can figure it out a little bit, but also they're tailoring their game to his a little bit too. Yeah, I thought, I mean, the Warriors look good. They've got more to navigate than the Suns do, which is saying something because Phoenix has a lot to navigate itself. Um, you know, the Draymond absence, I think, is huge. You know, you, you're talking about once he gets back, that push and pull between, you know, depending on lineups and and time spent together on the floor, that push and pull between he and Draymond uh, as the two primary table setters is going to be interesting. You know, Clay was was hunting a little bit at times. There were some clips out there that they were not kind to Clay as far as, uh, uh, you know, kind of the, the night that he had and he didn't shoot all that well. Uh, but, you know, both squads going to be there. All right, boys, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And on the back end of this break, we're going to do some takeaways, some uh, teams that impressed, teams that disappointed, and uh, keep making our way around the association. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, gentlemen, we are back. Uh, I know I keep saying it, but a lot of ground to cover. Um, so let's take a quick step back and just kind of go more macro as far as look at everything in the landscape of what happened Tuesday night, Wednesday night, uh, and just kind of pull something out of there as far as team that impressed, team that disappointed. Uh, Fred, we've had you in the corner there for a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> I think I know what direction you're going to go. We're going to go with team that impressed. Fred, do you have any – I'm going to spoil it here. Do you have any – actual Pacers swagger to like put on like a hat, a jersey, uh, you know, a flag. Um, do you have any, you know, the fat heads of Rick Carlisle behind you? Uh, you? You are feeling the Pacers after this debut. No, this was a completely normal night. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I'm saving my Pacers memorabilia for when they drop 175. <laughs> Last night was only 143 against the uh, hapless can we call them hapless Washington Wizards? Sure. Uh, Wizards defense, by the way, is like, they should be better than that. I, I understand that Washington is is not going to be good at all, but like they have more NBA players than you realize. You know, they have they have like real vets and Defenders? they got No, but they should not look as discombobulated as they did. Like they, they, oh, it did well, not Well, the look goals good. of their season are, However, are laid out pretty clear, right? I oh, mean, yes. Like, I'm However, defended a playoff level. They're trying to get there. When you're going up against the offensive juggernaut that is the Indiana Pacers, and you all think I'm saying it in jest, 
but the Pacers are going to be one of the best offenses in the league this year. I remain okay, good. convinced. This is good. This is good. I Slater, like I know where you're going. Way. I'm going to jump in because you're so good at this. This is like three weeks in a row. Fred is coming with the hot takes, and and he he got it's one not every a hot week. Take. I, it's okay. The 2023, 24. But what's the Sam. ceiling, Fred? What's the Sam, ceiling? 2023, 24 this, Indiana he, Pacers are are this year's kings. They'll Sam, be the really Sam, fun, fast paced team. Okay. Sam, we got to put a number yeah. on this. We have to put a number on this um, for the because record. he is coming a little scorching on it, and because he's feeling himself. Because oh wow, they like torched Danilo Gallinari and Jordan Poole. Um, <laughs> what he says they're going to be one of the best offenses of the league. Let's set the over under at what six and a half. Will they be a top six offense this year? Will you say over, eight? over? Like so, so higher than six? Oh yeah, or? I guess yes. under. They will be a top six offense this year. This I love this. We'll, we will track this this season. I don't think they're going to be a top ten, but 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 six is what he's saying. They're going to be a top six offense. Oh, I'm top you could have gone top three. Is what you could have made said. it. You could have made it a half. I mean, they did drop one forty three. You know, like it's. They, yes, it's the Wizards. It's the they Wizards. are playing like the opening night like last year and find like some team that had a nice totally, offense. totally. But this is not this is not an opinion based on opening night. This is an opinion based on the fact that they are playing with beautiful offense already. Their movement, their movement is wonderful. They're going to be good as hell in transition, which we saw. They are have great cutters in the half court. Everyone on that team who plays basically can do at least two of the three most important things on offense, which is pass, cut, and shoot. And everybody on that team can do at least two of them really, really well. Like, yeah, Bruce Brown's not a shooter. Of course not. But he's a wonderful passer and a wonderful cutter and really smart player. And their player movement mixed with their ball movement mixed with enough shooting is going to do a ton for them. And I think we saw it last night. Halliburton, by the way, is only getting better. Matherin is only getting better. Andrew Nemhard looks really good. That team is good. Obi Toppin makes a lot of sense in the starting lineup for them stylistically. Like they, that team, that team is good. They're good. Okay, we will continue. I'm to warning all of you. I feel we like good. we can move on. We, we, we are... Fred, Watch, uh, they're gonna wet, they're gonna win 32 night, games. Last night as I made my way to the theater and was, wait, how many games? They won 32 games now, just because <laughs> exactly. that's yeah. the way this works. Well, like Mr. 18 ranked offense. Super producer Andrew Select will be more than willing to pull the tape out and, and make sure that you are reminded. Um, as I made my way to the theater last night, my youngest son, Landon, was asking my opinion because uh, we talked about Pacers. And I said, man, Halliburton got 20 and 11, I think it was. Um, and and he was he's looking at the Kings this year because we live in town. And so he brings up the trade, right? The Sabonis Halliburton trade and, and, you know, kind of wanted to revisit it and ask the question of, you know, what do you think? Like, is that, did the Kings make a mistake? Did the Pacers make a mistake? And, you know, it, it is wild that, uh, you know, even with the Pacers great debut, this is another, uh, you know, I guess a year and a half later, whatever it is, this is one of those win-wins. Both squads got better. Um, you know, Slater, you and I wrote in, in depth about the Kings for uh, our website this morning. You know, they had a good debut, uh, out in Utah, uh, it's it is fascinating to see that on both sides of of the ledger of that trade, uh, things continue to go well. Yeah, totally. they could have, uh, Kings could have been one of our uh, you know most impressive teams. Harrison Barnes, twenty seven in the first half. Keegan Murray looks great. They 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 killed the the Jazz, but that wouldn't be my pick for most. All right, Slater, your pick for the most impressive is. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of choices, but honestly, I was uh, I was in a very basketball mood yesterday, so I watched all the way through to the end, including uh, Clippers Blazers with the late night game. And again, I don't want to go all Fred Katz on you and act like all oh, the Clippers are going to win the title because they mash the Blazers, uh, who are not going to be good. Uh, you know, how many points the Clippers put up? By the way, it might have been one twenty three. One twenty three. Okay, uh, but. I, they look like Russell Westbrook just looks ener energized by that situation. Everyone's glowing about his leadership. I do think the leadership void you know, on a team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George really, we underrated what Russell Westbrook's personality would bring to, to that franchise. Um, Plus and 30, Slater. Up. Plus 30. Damn, yeah, Russ. Yeah. Uh, go look at his dunks. He probably have four or five like big ones. Uh, he looks athletic He's trying right to now. keep James He's Harden away. Yeah, he was playing Scoot Henderson, which might have invigorated him because, you know, Scoot Henderson, their broadcast was talking about how he grew up, like, you know, idolizing Russ. Uh, but, you know, Kawhi looks sharp. Paul George looks sharp. 
they're healthy. They're saying the right things about caring about the regular season, right? It does feel a little bit more desperate than it has there. And I just thought, you know, look, again, one game. Uh, but I was like, yeah, they look good. They look good right now. Man, imagine and if they were... didn't, not to pick on it, but imagine if they didn't play Kenyon Martin Jr. And I obviously didn't watch this game. But 14 minutes, uh, minus 17. Oh, that was just the fourth quarter. They got beat yeah. 38-24 in the fourth. They were up like 30-something okay. uh, when it mattered. Fred, there were people with the Clippers last year who it's funny because, you know, we think of the Clippers on the outside as this organization that isn't prioritizing the regular season, only wants to build for the postseason. They're the load management team, the Kawhi team, all that. At some point since the Kawhi and Paul George trade, at some point there are people in that organization who have kind of flipped on that and thought this locker room is just not competitive enough. And that was a thing last year. Where like people in that organization were worried that that locker room just wasn't competitive enough. And I remember when they got Russ and I was talking to somebody there and that person is saying to me like, Russ has been awesome just because he's so insanely competitive and we just needed that so badly. Uh, I, 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 I look. There were enough people over there who were talking about a lack of competitiveness within the organization that I believe it probably was true. You know, and you know, clearly loves the Westbrook uh, joining the team. Steve Ballmer, right? He's a guy who goes to every regular season game, sits courtside, like lives and dies in the second quarter on like a ten-two run. And I just think, considering the stars he had who hadn't played in the regular season, the fact that they have a Russell Westbrook who plays every game that he can and like goes as hard as he does. You could tell he just like, you know, the dunks last night, Balmer's going nutty over there. And it's like, did, wasn't there the story that Balmer was one of the first to call Westbrook a free agency and just preach like, Hey, we want you. I mean, look for, for all of his flaws and he has flaws and he has more flaws now than he did when I covered him in Oklahoma city. Russ is quite possibly the most competitive human being I've ever met in my entire life. And that can be very helpful when you're a professional athlete. When he, during his MVP season, 2016-17, Billy Donovan told me this story when he was the coach of the Thunder. They were playing a game. Russ had turned his ankle really bad the previous night in Charlotte. And it was apparently awful. Billy, Billy was like, you would not believe the size of his ankle and how swollen it was. And the training staff was telling Russ, you have to sit out. You have to sit out. Like you got to, you're, you're not playing tonight. You're out. Russ was in the training room. Billy heard a commotion in the training room. He goes in the training room and Russ is just yelling, took a piece of, of like, he took a, like a roll of, uh, of tape and, and threw it against the wall. And he's like, you're going to let me warm up and see how I feel. You're going to let me warm up and see how I feel. And Billy tries to tell him like, Russ, just take the game, just take the one game and we'll see how you feel the next game. Uh, he, he, he refuses to, he says, you're going to warm let me warm up and see how I feel. Russ goes through warmups. Billy's like his his hurt ankle is this is in Houston. He's like his hurt ankle is is the size of is twice the size of his other one. He goes through warmups as he's walking off the court. He struts past Billy, looks him in the eye and goes, "I'm playing." And then that night he dropped 47. And it's like that that dude just wants to play all the time. There is a fire and a competitiveness that's a double-edged sword 100%. But like Maybe it's a good culture fit for there. Maybe, maybe that's something that can that can help them at times. Also, Paul George has already played with him, and Paul George loves him. Well, and I think Paul Paul's been one of the people that you alluded to earlier, Fred. That that is, you know, even publicly somewhat questioned, not necessarily their competitiveness, but the load management approach on his podcast. He's been open about, you know, kind of the way they are perceived and how that doesn't fit with who he is. So, you know, I'm here for that for them, you know, finding that spirit to actually go out and do something here. I am going to segue guys as the clock ticks on us a little bit. Um, and, and this relates, I'm going to give quickly my team that, that I'm impressed by, but also disappointed in, but I'm going to give the disappointing one because it relates a little bit to the Clippers. Uh, I'm looking at these Houston Rockets who, you know, added Fred Van Vliet in the off season, Dylan Brooks, uh, thought they had Brooke Lopez, you know, swung and missed there. He went back to Milwaukee. So they have a bad opener. Ime Udoka's debut, uh, said it earlier, 116-86. Um, the, the, the thing, and it's one game, so we do the overreaction deal. But I'm, I'm seeing that, that score and, you know, kind of chewing on it a bit and thinking about the subplot 
of one, you know, the one and only James Harden, who we've somehow gotten 40 minutes into the pod without mentioning. So you got James this week uh, being away from Philly for quite some time and then deciding to come back. But then the Sixers clearly didn't want him to be playing just yet. He's, he's It appears that he's trying to avoid losing game checks, you know, but he's not going to be playing for Milwaukee in the opener tonight. Um, the subplot that you guys are well aware of is that <clears throat> if the Rockets had just brought him home like he thought they were going to, then none of this stuff would have happened. You know, that was a fascinating choice at the time where James thought he had a landing spot there. Tillman Fertitta and ownership, you know, seemed to be on board with it. Rafael Stone, the GM in the front office, um, you know, seemed to be open to it. By all accounts, Ime was probably the the biggest voice or loudest voice in the room that said, I think we're doing something different and, and didn't want to go down that road. Uh, it's just fascinating to, to see uh, where they are now, where they're trying to go. And and just think that uh, you know it, it was pretty plausible to have James in a in a Rockets jersey again. Yeah, uh, they they did not look good. Uh, Jalen Green, right? This feels like an important season for Jalen Green. He was two of ten, four turnovers. Um, you know, he's got more. Like it's just more serious basketball that they need. They're trying to play this season, right? They are like legitimately trying to at least get in the play in and like you know win forty games that type of thing. Uh, I just I'm not sure Jalen Green. Uh, is is ready? Well, the that. irony, and I'm I'm bouncing around a little bit. The irony to me, guys, is that you know you highlight the Clippers where they are, the competitiveness, the Westbrook factor. The Clippers are making their own calculus. They've been pursuing James Harden, and and then you see how they played. You see the role that Russ is playing. Uh, you know, it does certainly make me wonder. You know, when it comes to Lawrence Frank, Trent Red, and Mark Hughes, that Clippers front office, Steve Ballmer, like you know, it's probably a day to day week-to-week analysis of does James Harden put us over the top? Um, you know, when they go out and compete like this, uh, I wonder, you know, how they see the you know, the prospect of adding James. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, um, my... Uh, were, were the Rockets your disappointing yeah, team? Yeah, the Rockets were the disappointing team. Uh, the, how about the Chicago Bulls having a players-only meeting six seconds into the season? That's something. That's something. That is something. Well, it, I mean, clearly that was like they, they played poorly. It's not great, and we should get into that. But sometimes I think the like play like players only meetings like happen all, every team every like I don't know the Warriors are probably at seven so far. It's just meetings between players. Sometimes it just gets reported in a way that uh, Slater says know. it's nothing. Slater says it's nothing. well. No, yeah. I mean like yeah. they looked horrible, and like I'm concerned about the right. Chicago Bulls, and we could talk about that, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, like Fred, how many players only meetings do you think the Knicks have had? It's like I think like Tibbs is all up in their. The I think Tibbs is all up in their business all the time. Um, can I just read the uh, this tweet from uh, from Julia Poe, who covers the Bulls for the Chicago Tribune? Billy Donovan says when he walked into the Bulls locker room tonight, players were already in heated conversation. He asked if they wanted him to leave to handle conflict. Players said yes, so he did. Donovan emphasized that embracing conflict is key for this year's roster. That just sounds like a little more than like, oh, yeah, we got to talk amongst his players and fix the pick and roll defense. It just it just sounds a little <laughs> more damning on a team that has been together for a while. And by the way, it was one of the weirdest teams in the NBA last year. Like they, they finished with the record that you think they probably should have coming into the year, but we all expect them to be good offensively, do nothing defensively. And meanwhile, they're at the end of the year, a top 10 defense and struggle offensively. Just a really weird, weird team last year that, that brought in some good defensive pieces this summer, but is pretty damn similar. And it's DNA to last year. I, I, they're in a weird place. They're well, and really that's why, place. again, things you guys know, that's why a lot of the league is right out the gate monitoring what the Bulls do heading into the trade deadline with the Rosen and Levine pretty widely seen as guys that could be on the move. So when you come out and lose by 20 in the opener and have players-only meetings, I think that certainly makes rival executives kind of go, okay, this is so far uh, going according to plan. Well, that's I think the frustration is they're a team built to win internally, right? They believe like, hey, we got a bunch of veterans, we're on big contracts, like this is the time to win. It's not good enough. They're not like it's, this is this is predictable, right? I mean, we none of us are picking them to relieve and probably make the playoffs. Whereas 
they're built like they they want to be a four seed and get to the second round at least right so like it's yeah it's going to be frustrating because they're not going to achieve their goals we don't believe uh and this was night one of disappointment right we would all have picked the thunder to win that game pretty easily internally they probably wouldn't have so they're upset right right i didn't do my uh my impressed and i'll make it super fast but i'm going to stick with you know that that bulls game okc uh by all accounts at least you know glancing at the the box here pretty uh pretty good debut boys you got you got shay doing shay things 31 and 10 and 31 10 and 5 plus 19 uh chet holmgren in 25 minutes 11 points three assists plus 14 i mean they're just deep you know they're deep 124 104 uh, it's going to be fun to see OKC do its thing this year. Yeah, you know, look really good. Uh, the rookie, Kaysom Wallace. Um, I think he hit all three of his threes. He just looks confident. He can defend for his position and his age. He's better than you know, um, you know most most kids his age. And he just like seemed like another good draft pick. We'll see here again. Like it's talk about overreaction. Uh, you know, Thursday or whatever it is. We're talking about one game, but uh, just. You know, Chet wasn't even that big of a factor. I would say Chet probably was slightly disappointed in himself and his own personal debut would be my guess. But yeah, they 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 did look good. Disappointments for you two gentlemen before we get the heck out of here. Bulls. Sam, sure. Sam, Sam if you'd like, I know you got you got a local radio. Me and me and Fred can 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 wrap it with with a couple disappointments if you if you gotta get to uh all right, I'm down with that. I like that. See, last week yeah. Fred was grabbing the mic and, and taking the lead. This is a this is a team production right here. The team tampering. Let's go. I like that. All right, appreciate you guys. I will see you next week. They are going to keep going. See y'all. All right, Fred Katz. So, so uh, I feel like you, you got a long list of disappointments. No, I'll. I, I mean, I'm my own disappointment, but I'll say I'll. I mean, I'll, you didn't I'll like stick your gamer. with the You didn't like your gamer off, off, off last night. You didn't. My gamer was honestly like B minus. It was fine. By the way, B minus, like, I feel like all NBA writers are like this early in the season. You just feel a little rusty. You, you know, yeah. in the press box post game, you're just like, ah, it's like the words aren't flowing as good. Wait, where do I get that stat again? And wait, how, wait, you know, what's the filter I need to get there? It's absolutely you know. true. I, I think so I'll B-. go with the Bulls. Good. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I think I'll go with the Bulls just because, like, you know, what we discussed before. And I don't really know what else to be disappointed by. I mean, what do, do you have a better answer? I mean, I think there are uh, uh, there are options across the league. The Hawks lost to the Hornets. Uh, that would be an option. Um, you know, the Wizards defense, we don't need to get into it. You know, it was as disappointing as advertised. Houston was a good one, I thought, by Sam. Um the Timberwolves, who have talked the big talk, right? This huge monster season that they're going to have coming up uh, with with a lot of money on the line for a lot of guys and future in Minnesota on the line. Went to Toronto and uh, Raptors were probably more impressive on the impressive side that we could have used, but they only scored 94 points. Uh, I read John Krasinski, who will give at least, we'll give higher than a B minus on his uh, night one gamer, but. Uh, you know, he, the quotes were all about how, oh, the preseason was great, but then we got to the regular season. Basically, it seemed like they were saying we started caring about stats and Anthony Edwards. The ball got really sticky, and it was a bunch of isolations. And uh, there's just a lot of agendas in Minnesota this year, right? Uh, and they just didn't look good in night one and lost to the Raptors. So that would be, I think, uh, a night one disappointment. How about the Grizzlies at home? I am worried about Memphis. You know, they lose to the Pelicans at home. You would know the injuries, right? Stephen Adams going out for the year now. I just, I don't know how that season is going to go. You know, some people were picking them very high in the West, right? They were the two seed last year. Oof, I don't know. It's going to be tough for them. Steven Adams is really important for them. Yeah. Like, not not even necessarily just because of the offensive rebounding and the sound team defense and, and all of that, but also because, like, the thing with Jaron Jackson Jr. and the problem that he had with like FIBA when he wasn't nearly as effective is that when he plays the five, he's just not as good defensively. He's way more reckless. He fouls way more. And when he's next to Steven Adams, he's a lot more disciplined and he's way better. And five fouls last night for Jaron Jackson Jr. Like he he was able to play a lot of minutes. He wasn't necessarily in foul trouble or anything like that. But that is the thing that I'm monitoring. One of the huge reasons why they were a two seed last year and on top of this, by the way, they're missing job for the first quarter of the season. But one of the big reasons why Jaron Jackson Jr. had such a fabulous defensive season last year was because he was on the floor. One of the big reasons why 
Memphis was able to climb to number two was because they were so good defensively because of Jaron Jackson's production. And I, I'm not worried about him like becoming a bad defender, but if he's not one of the three or four best defensive players in the league, he can't stay on the floor during important moments. That's really going to hurt them, especially when they don't have the backdrop of like John Morant being there. I don't think they're going to be bad or anything. I just, I could see them not having home court in the first round. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, you, you get into that area you're talking about potentially not having a home court in the first round because of how bunched the west is expected to be in the parity like then you're you are in danger of missing the playoffs you know when once you're in that muddle uh mix and you know look they start xavier tillman and and zaire williams last night zaire williams was like in the g league last year he, he's kind of been you know he had a disappointing season we'll see maybe he pops but the fact that you start xavier tillman and zaire williams then you look at who came off the bench for them last night Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, Derek Rose, Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard misses all five of his threes. Derek Rose, three of 11. We'll see. I mean, I know he had a kind of a little resurgence in New York, but also by the end looked a little bit older too. Uh, I just, depth was so big for them, right? And the depth is just eroded. Not through injury, yes, Brandon Clark, Steven Adams. Suspension right now, John Morant, but also just like Tyus Jones gone, DeAnthony Melton gone. You know, the playoff teams that you remember, you I know you covered the, uh, the Memphis series. This is not as deep or proven a team. Maybe some of these guys make a step up and, and make by midseason. We're saying, oh, David Roddy. But I just, it seems thin there, much thinner than it has. Yeah. And it's not just that. It's also like, what has been the main criticism of the Grizzlies basically for the past two or three years since they've become a really, really good, formidable, well coached threat in the West? It's that there's, they can bog down in the half court offensively. They're a really good defensive team. They're insanely well coached. If they get stops and they get out on the run, they're dynamic in transition. But once they get into their half court, they can bog down. They're not bad, but if they're going up against a really good, really staunch, really disciplined half court defense, they can struggle offensively. And the way that they often end up surviving is with offensive rebounds. That's what holds them up. They take a ton of floaters. They have guys who take a ton of floaters, and floaters are also really offensive reboundable. And they have Steven Adams, who's the best offensive rebounder of his generation. And they have Brandon Clark, who is a really energetic rebounder also. And they get tons of offensive rebounds. Steven Adams is a one-man offensive rebounding team. You have him on the floor, you will be like one of the best, if not the best, offensive rebounding teams in the league period like he's that good him and Mitchell Robinson are the only two dudes in the league who I would say that about you have those guys on the floor you will be awesome at offensive rebounding period and by the way it's going to help your transition defense too because those guys are so good at offensive rebounding that other teams have to send multiple guys at them to try to keep them off the board which means that they're running in the opposite direction of running in transition so it's going to help you there too I worry about the half-court offense bogging down. Even once Jaw gets back, I worry about the half-court offense bogging down. And they're going to be good. And Taylor Jenkins is such a good coach, and there's still a lot of talent there. Desmond Bain is awesome and will probably continue to get better. But like, I see a world where that team slides to 5-6-7 in the West. And once you're there, it's like, you know, it's difficult to see. A few more like, games in your 8-9-10s. Right. Know. I don't think they're as good as Denver. I don't think they're as good as Phoenix. I don't think they're as good as the Lakers. So Warriors, Kings, uh, I don't think there's goes the Kings Clippers. Yeah. I, you know, if they stay healthy, uh, you can name a lot of teams. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And you know, you, you mentioned, I worry about the longevity of Steven Adams career. I mean, he just plays so physical. I mean, you were around early in his career, so many ankle sprains, so many elbows to the face, the migraine headaches he used to got, he used to get, uh, he's just such a physical style. Now the fact that he tried to rehab a knee injury, you know, it didn't work. Now he's getting, it sounds like ACL surgery. Um, you know, I, I, he just always seemed like a guy who by 31, 32 is just kind of a, you know, beaten down because of the way he has to play. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I know the guy and I, I always think of him as so much older than he is. He's like 30. Like he's, he's not old, 29 maybe. Like it, it seems like he's like Adonis Haslam at this point, but he's, He's not, you know, he's not old. It's a little bit like the guy I cover, Kavon Looney's 27, and you're like, so he just yeah. feels like a 34-year-old, like, wily vet, and it's the same with Steven Adams. 100%. It's just we, been around so long 
you know, because been a, a playoff relevant, both of them for a long time in big games and also like style of play, personality, all of it mixed in. Uh, but yeah, you're right. But, you know, guys age differently and, you know, the the type of, you know, style you play can age you differently. So definitely. We got anything else? Uh, Andrew wanted us to, to hit on the uh, the new, the, I guess, the old All-Star Game format that is the new All-Star Game format. I would say I like it East-West. We don't get a need to get too deep into it, but this is, I, as somebody, you know, that doesn't really matter in this conversation, I, I, I like the East-West better than what it has been. I, I just don't care. Well, that was a great segment, Andrew. We hit on it just for you. I mean, like, you put this up on YouTube, people are going to be like, wow. Fascinating. I don't. Fascinating I don't care. Too. I don't care. Yeah. Like nothing. Nothing is. There's only one solution to save the All Star Game, and it's you know that one that one year, the first year that they did like the Elam ending. People are like, oh, the Elam ending is going to save the All Star Game. It did it. It got them to play hard. It saved when the, the reality, end of the All Star Game, not the actual. It, yeah. Well, the reality of it was that it was like Kyle Lowry saved the All Star Game because he kept running around trying to take charges on people. And everybody was just like, good Lord, if this guy's just trying to take charges on everybody, he was the first player probably in the history of the league to take two charges in one quarter of the All-Star game. <laughs> and and everybody started to rev up and play hard. So I think the way to save the All-Star game is to have a Kyle Lowry All-Star, who is somebody who's just like your hustle player, whose only job is to run around and try to take charges on people. So it could be maybe maybe Marcus Smart is your Kyle Lowry All-Star. In, Jose in Alvarado is going to get and in. Jose, yeah, Jose Alvarado could be there. And their only job is just to constantly be one of the five players on either team in the game. And just to constantly try to mess with everybody on the floor. And then maybe you'll get something out of it and guys will play. You'll either get a good all-star game or you'll get like Jose Alvarado will win MVP because he's out there like to the rim. And everyone's like, all right, well, he's got 40 because we don't care. Which at the very least sounds more entertaining than what we saw last year. So (laughs) you're correct. So, so it's fine. I mean, I don't see. How you know they're always trying to the all star game is like the dunk contest is constantly in a state of either having to be saved or being back with no in between every no year, between. right? It's crazy because, like, if it's a good dunk contest, like it's back, <laughs> you're right. No, okay, all right, we gave you two good minutes on that, Andrew. So, uh, uh I guess we, we we ready to wrap, Fred, unless you got another disappointment. I thought you were going to come with like nine disappointed players, teams, executives you didn't necessarily no, I'm like. Not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not overreacting to anybody but the Pacers, which isn't an overreaction. Is it? All right. The top six offense, you heard it on Tampa. We're, we're oh, going to yeah. be following it all season. We'll talk to you next week and we will update your Indiana Pacers offensive uh, efficiency numbers.